in the semifinals. We got six guys in the semifinals and are, are just rolling, doing great. And we went 0-6 in the semifinals. And the crowd started chanting 0-6, 0-6, because we had a terrible round. You know, everything could go wrong, went wrong. Then when we came back and the guys just got on a roll and got the 10 All-Americans, our fans started chanting 10, 10, 10. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. Presented by Spartan Combat, this is your host, Ryan Warner. It's Monday, November 21st, and this episode is brought to you by Quant Wrestling. That's Q-U-A-N-T. Quant is an app that you can download through the Apple or Google Play stores that takes a numbers look at the sport of wrestling. So they collect a number of data points throughout a match, timestamp them, and then take all those data points and feed them into Quant's cloud analytics engine to predict match outcomes. I love the compare feature on the Quant app. So what you do is you search for a wrestler, such as Yanni D., and then search for another wrestler. In this case, I did Austin Gomez. And then go to the matchup feature, and you can compare what would happen if Yanni and Austin Gomez wrestled. So download the Quant Wrestling app now through the Apple and Google Play stores. That's Q-U-A-N-T Wrestling. Quant Wrestling. Today's episode is with Joe Russell. Joe Russell is the manager of freestyle programs for USA Wrestling. He's been in the corner of many wrestlers at the Olympics and the Worlds. Back in high school, Joe was one of the best high school wrestlers to ever come out of Oregon. He was a double junior national champ his junior year, and then leading into his senior year, he was involved in a tragic accident that ultimately changed the trajectory of his life. Joe has been around wrestling at the highest levels as a coach and a wrestler, and I can't wait for you to hear this story. Fan of the week goes to our friend Jeff Harris. Jeff recently supported the podcast with a merchandise purchase. If you want to support the podcast as well, go to store.wrestlingchangemylife.com. Jeff Harris is a Chicago man, and we love him for that. Jeff, thanks so much for all your support of the podcast. We really appreciate it. Last but not least, folks, this episode is brought to you by Beat the Street Chicago. They're my favorite nonprofit. And what Beat the Street Chicago has done over the past couple of years is nothing short of amazing. They built a standalone wrestling facility, all self-fundraised. They're now one of the largest wrestling organizations in Illinois, and they're only getting started. If you're listening to this and wrestling's changed your life, 
please go to btschicago.org slash donate. btschicago.org slash donate. Please consider making a donation. All donations made between now and next Tuesday, which is Giving Tuesday, will be matched at 100% by Beat the Street Chicago. So if you love this podcast, please support Beat the Street Chicago, btschicago.org slash donate. And without further ado, let's give it up for Joe Russell. Joe Russell, welcome to the podcast, sir. Good to be here. I'm really excited about this conversation. And a lot of people know your story who are in the wrestling world. I have heard it, you know, through uh, through bits and pieces. So I'm excited to dive into it here. But let's just start uh, at the beginning. Cobra USA. Why for Oregon people is this club so special? And for Illinois people who've never heard of it, like what is it and why is it so special? Yeah, no, it's just one of those clubs with uh, Coach Sprague. You know, he's the guy who, who never wrestled, but his kids got into wrestling and he decided to become the best coach in the world. So he brought in a lot of great coaches to learn from. And, and he's just a guy who's given his life to kids. So, um, you know, growing up, uh, you know, he the club was all – I mean, he had an athletic club when I was a kid, so, you know, it was always open. We had a couple of wrestling rooms in there, and, you know, he'd be on the mats three or four hours a day year-round, so it's a special place that he created, and, and a lot of the athletes and coaches he had around there are lifelong friends and people that had a huge impact on my life. Year-round? Year-round, yep, yep. I know when my brother and I were in uh, junior high, we took some time off to play a flag football at our, at our junior high and uh, Coach Sprague was not pleased with our dad that we took a took a month or two off to to play football because you know wrestling practice was going on. So it's uh, it's a pretty special place, pretty special place. And what was the story with the warm ups and the uniforms? Yeah, I know. I listened to Coach Zadek when he was on your on on your podcast here. So he was just I don't know just ahead of his times, but he always had special warm-ups if you came to the summer camps before we went to our national tournament you know you'd be all dressed in the nicest stuff coming out and it's kind of cool too as for kids that are in the club year-round he you had different warm-ups depending on what your credentials were so in order to get the white ones you had to won won a national title so we always were working hard to be be the guy that got the white warm-ups because uh otherwise you were in blue and people knew you weren't the elite of the club so it was kind (laughs) of a good little trick he did you know he had tryouts to get on the team it wasn't like you were just automatically on the team and and just really good at making you feel special and feeling like you were uh supposed to be the best in the world and when so are you older than the wood brothers like when did oscar and isaac come through there way after you or uh they were younger so when when they were coming up i was you know got to even coach them a little bit in the room and, and watch them progress and grow and turn into animals so they were they have to definitely some of the better guys to come out of the club were the woods, woods brothers they look they just look like those guys if you're gonna wrestle them they're just so strong and so tough <laughs> yeah that's about right <laughs> <laughs> i'm always uh i'm always uh inspired to ask this question when i'm talking to an oregon guy the the hypothetical matchup you know the legendary um bobby janice from the from the um Oh my God. What, what's it called? Um, Peninsula. Thank you. Peninsula park. I was yes. thinking Portage park, Peninsula park, and then Oscar Wood from, uh, from Cobra USA. So that, that's always one that I, people ask me to ask about. Cause I know that's a, those are just two legendary guys from those clubs. 
Um, yeah, yeah, I grew up in the you know USA Oregon Cobra Club, so I'm gonna have to go with Oscar. <laughs> but Bobby was a special talent for sure. And what about Pavel Kotzen? I really don't know much about him. Was he part of Cobra? Yeah, he was. So when he he left the Soviet Union, and I think he went to Israel first, and then ended up in in Oregon. Uh, coach Sprague hired him as a, a coach there, and and for us as kids, he kind of changed the game for us. You know, coming from behind the iron curtain, you know, really didn't know a lot. And he was, I think he had his master's in coaching in, in Russia. So he, he was very good and, and really took us to a whole new level, especially on the Greco side. That's where he was great. And uh, we were just ahead of the rest of the Americans by the time, you know, he got in the club and it was funny when he first got there, he didn't speak English. And so he, you know, in the Russian rooms where I kind of learned English. And so it was kind of funny at times it was a lot of sign language at first and then as he learned english it got better and better and uh what a great man who impacted so many american wrestlers uh once he got to the u.s so definitely a guy who had a huge impact on my life and and fun to be around so how did coach spread get him out of all the the clubs yeah, I, and locations I, in the u.s i don't know how it happened but coach Sprague had that that magic so he you know that happened from time to time there would be all of a sudden, the guy who had been on the Olympic team would show up in our room and he'd be training there. You know, and I don't know how he got him there. Or, or Pavel Kotzen coming from Russia via, I think, Israel, but uh, getting him, you know, work visa and, and he became a full-time coach for us. And, and yeah, he amazing how Coach Bragg pulled those things off. Yeah, he. I found an article that the LA Times had did on him in the 80s, and it sounds like he could have easily been like the U.S. head Greco coach based on his credentials. Yeah, I think he was for a while, actually, in the early 80s. You know, he was coaching our world and Olympic teams, and and uh, he was a character, a lot of fun to have around. So I remember one time I went to uh, junior nationals and wrestling junior nationals, and, and that same time the senior uh, Greco world team camp was going on, and I got back. So I missed a little bit of camp because I was at junior nationals competing, and I came back, and Pablo was like, where you been? How you win medals? You're not at practice. And I go, well, wasn't this tournament called Junior Nationals? You know, I wrestled 21 matches this last weekend. And and he goes, but you missed practice. Not good. Not good. So it was just funny. <laughs> he didn't quite understand uh, the American system, but uh, a great man. Is he still with us? I think he lives in New York. Yeah, I haven't heard from him for a long time, but uh, he got out of wrestling and started, um, you know, doing other things. But I hope to run into him. When, whenever when i run into him uh, it makes me very happy to see him i'll try and get him on here because he seems like he's got a world of experience like the the quote in the paper he just kept repeating is greco is beautiful <laughs> yeah he, he convinced us that as kids too you know like uh you know you want to be the best that's what you got to do and wow uh, what a good man great man and so when you you mentioned junior nationals when you went out to junior nationals your junior year in high school you won it both styles what happened the years before you went before you won at your junior year yeah my my freshman year uh i placed in greco i didn't place in freestyle my sophomore year i just wrestled greco and then my junior year i wrestled both styles and, and won them both so how'd you do your sophomore year when you only wrestled greco uh i got third in greco so it was uh and i got disappointed so i, I left town <laughs> what happened I, you know, one of those things, you, you lose a match you shouldn't lose. So I, I won my side of the pool. In those days, they'd cross bracket and you wrestle the second placer in the other pool. And uh, I, I ended up 
was winning and got pinned. And then the guy I beat ended up winning the tournament, I think. So I was like, oh, this is not good. So <laughs> one of those things you, you wish you could have back and, and handle it differently. But yeah. So Greco only. What what was going on there? Yeah, Pavel, man. Greco's real men wrestle Greco is what he would say. And, and uh, you know, it's beautiful. But yeah, it was just a crazy time in my life. And so after your junior year, you'd won, you know, one state, you'd won Fargo both times. Where were you looking at going to college, you and Dan? I think at that point we were still wide open. You know, recruiting process was a little bit later in those days. So it was kind of, you know, just ramping up for us at that time. So, you know, we were pretty open at that point where to go. But, uh, you know, definitely had big dreams of, you know, being Olympic champs and that kind of stuff. So looking, looking more that direction. Oh, so you might have been one of those uh, Aaron Pico, Henry Cejudo kind of I don't know. <laughs> resident guys, man. <laughs> I don't know about that, but yeah, no, that's definitely, a, you know, Pavel had his brainwashed pretty good back then. So, <laughs> And is Dan the same age as you? or he's a, he's a year older, but we were kind of raised like twins. So the story goes, and I don't know how much truth there is to it because I don't remember, but when he he was getting ready to start school, uh, first grade. He had just turned seven, and he's getting ready to start school. I guess I threw a little bit of a fit because Dan was getting new clothes and a new lunchbox and stuff. So I threw a fit, and then my parents decided to let me go to school with him. So I we actually started first grade together. So because of that, everybody thought we were twins, even though I just, I guess, threw a fit. So I got to go to, go to school a year early. <laughs> and, um, you know, like you guys were just – totally obsessed i mean talk about like your like a day in the life for you and dan when you guys were in high school yeah no it was pretty special when we were kids you know our dad our dad was a coach we kind of grew up around wrestling and he as a young kid um you know we didn't we didn't have television when we were a kid and so one day when i was about eight my dad actually bought a tv and brought it in the house and because the olympics were going on so we actually watched tv in our house first time we were watching the olympics and we got to watch the peterson brothers wrestling Olympics. And we were like, yeah, we want to be like those brothers. And uh, so my dad doing that kind of got our dream going of going to the Olympics and be like them. And he took us serious. And that's when, you know, we moved to Oregon, got in the USA Oregon club and things really ramped up as far as our, our training and our lifestyle. And high school was, you know, just, I don't know, we just wrestled. That's all, that's all you did. You know, you you'd wrestle with your high school team, you you know, after high school practice, you go to club practice certain times of the year when high school was over you and, be at club practices and traveling to all the events and tournaments. And it was different back then. We didn't have as many competitions as the guys got today. It's crazy. These kids today, almost too much, too many competitions. There's like a national tournament every weekend somewhere. So <laughs> you know, we were a little more selective back then because there wasn't as many competitions, but uh, you know, we were involved in everything. And, and my dad really, dad and mom both sacrificed a lot. So Dan and I could pursue that dream we had and, and, you know, can't thank them enough for what they did for us. And, and uh, got those opportunities and, and took advantage of them. It was a, a lot of fun, no doubt about it. It was a great way to grow up and be raised. And it's the reason I ask is, you know, most kids, when the season's done, they're a little bit of a relief. Like they're they're excited to have a little break. And it's very rare to find people like you and Dan who doesn't sound like you dreaded the training at all. In fact, you look forward to it most times. Yeah, no, it's just the way it was. And it worked out well, you know, for us. I always had a workout partner, you know. I always had Dan with me. So I think that makes it a lot easier when you you bring somebody along with you. You know, if you're doing it by yourself, it's it's tricky. But if you got somebody there in your corner that's 
you know, running the miles with you, doing the drills with you, going to the tournaments and all that together, that made it a lot easier. So uh, when your workout partner's, you know, in the room right next door to you, it makes it a lot easier. Yeah, for sure. How, who were some of Dan's battles at Fargo or, or Junior Nationals back then when you were when you were going through it? It was really awkward. The one year, so I had wrestled in the, well, it was called a Spa Worlds back then, but Junior Worlds now. And I'd competed in that, and then we were going to meet at Junior Nationals. And, and Dan was supposed to be the weight below me, but he decided to wrestle my weight class. So one year, we actually had to wrestle at Junior Nationals. And that that was pretty awkward at that one. So. What happened? Well, you know, I, I bring it up because I won. So I, if I <laughs> lost, I wouldn't have brought it up. But yeah, I had to wrestle my older brother in the semifinals at Junior Nationals. And, uh, you know, it was an awkward match. <laughs> but Whoa. but since I got the better end of the stick, I guess that's why I brought it up. So sorry about that, Dan. That's awesome. What about uh, outside of the, the Russell household? Did he have any uh, nemesis that he ran across? Uh, Dan had a great career, you know, in high school, he went undefeated in high school. So he won all four state titles and, and won them all. And I know it's freshman year, Aaron Child's a great wrestler, a great coach. Now, uh, they wrestled in a match where, you know, Aaron was defending champ senior and this long gangly freshman came out there and, and Dan ended up winning that match. So it was a huge, huge one for him as a freshman to win. And, you know, he just kept winning. So he won, he was nine, I think 95 and oh, or around there was his record in high school. And wow. uh, pretty amazing, amazing run he had, but yeah, Oregon wrestling real tough back then. And then, you know, go to the regional nationals and national events. And, and Dan was uh, very su successful and, yeah, uh, you know, just one of the best around. First four timer ever. He was a good one. Man, yeah, and uh, D two nationals, yeah, he and he ended up and actually, you know, he chose Portland State. Uh, and I got an accident in high school and was having to go to an extra year of high school and trying to recover and stuff. And Dan stuck around close to home. That's why I think a big reason why he chose Portland State was kind of keep an eye on me and see where I was at. And uh, you know, pretty cool. I mean, great legacy for Portland State. Did a lot of great things for the community and ended up winning those four Division two titles, which is pretty impressive and I got to go watch it I watched I think three of them I didn't watch all four of them but I got to watch them win three of those national titles it was a lot of fun were you at the dual meet against Oklahoma State I was not I was not so I was off at college then but yeah what a way to start out for you know Pat they bring him out a red shirt and then he has to wrestle this division two kid who ended up pinning him so it was like, <laughs> there was a lot of question marks what were we thinking but oh. Pat, Pat got the last laugh so he, he got Dan at, at the semis in NCAA division one so it's crazy to look at the gains he made from like that January or December dual meet to March yeah and then yep. wrestle in the semis oh my gosh yeah it's, what Pat did is an amazing run he he put put on you know to win one title is hard but to have that longevity and win multiple titles and then to win all four, it's, it's not easy at all. A lot of things have to go right. And, uh, you know, you just, some of what's probably luck, you know, you stay healthy or, or peak at the right time. And, and he sure knew how to get it done when, when the lights were bright, Pat was out there and getting his hand raised. And then not to mention that the fifth tie or the fourth title came after he had to sit the year out because of the investigation. And so he had, to, he had won three, he has to pause for a year when he's pretty much ready to be done and focus on freestyle and then come back for that, that fourth title. Yeah. There's nothing, nothing easy about it. You can't, no. you know, even the most dominant guy in the world, you know, everything's got to go right. And there's a lot of factors just, 
life in general, you know, how you're doing in school and, you know, that NCAA investigation in Oklahoma State put him off for a year. So a lot of craziness, but he got it done. So very yeah. And when you think about that Portland State team that Dan was on, I believe they won D2s with only five guys and all five won. Yeah, can you imagine just going to the national tournament having a perfect tournament? So that was uh, pretty amazing. They had a lot of adversity on the front side too, bad travel, lots of problems, and a couple of really young guys on the team. And then they went to the tournament and just got on a roll and won, you know, I don't know what it was, 20-some 20, 20 straight matches to to go five for five in titles. So as a coach, you always dream about a tournament like that, right? When you know <laughs> everybody wins because as a coach, you know, you're usually – you're happy for a few and excited for a few, and then you're devastated for a few other guys that didn't get what they what they wanted or deserved or dreamed of. And so to, I'm sure for Marlon Grand to coach go there and everybody win, it's a pretty satisfying event. Man, it's it's cool. I've seen a picture of it, and they're all decked out in the Nike warm-ups. Obviously, Nike, you know, real close by. So, yeah, that 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 little team there is a – that could be a story. That could be a documentary just in that alone, you know? And that, oh, for for sure. It's amazing what those guys did. And I'm really excited to ask you about your time at Minnesota during that great run. But before we get there, let you mentioned it earlier, but let's just give some context on your story. And so going into your senior year of high school, you're involved in an incident and just kind of walk us through what happened there. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I don't know, one of those crazy accidents that happens is an accident. I just gotten back from the Olympic festival, competing in the Olympic festival, got home and, was gonna I'd been gone all summer at different events so got home and was gonna go work out with my coach uh friend of mine my brother the four of us uh we went for a long run came back we're headed over to the high school and and uh, I jumped on the back of my friend's motorcycle my brother and coach were behind us in their car and as we're getting over towards the high school pulling the parking lot a, a truck pulled out from my buddy and he tried to lay the motorcycle down but it ended up flipping and I uh, went back and uh, hit the foot peg of the motorcycle and put a had a compound skull fracture with severe lacerations of the brain. Uh, so a really bad accident. Uh, my brother, coach, were right behind us. I guess they pulled up, and I was laying on the exhaust on the motorcycle. I was scarring my arm. I, I don't know. can't really see it, but <laughs> scarring my arm where the, where the exhaust was burning my arm. And then uh, Dan pushed the bike away, then took his shirt off and wrapped it around my head because he said it looked like it was, you know, everything was falling off. In fact, the scene of the accident, I lost uh, I had the quarter cup of, brain matter they found at the accident uh, in the police report it says so one of those accidents you're not supposed to survive and and um you know they were just trying to keep me together and they're going to life flight me to the hospital but there's no reason to do it because there's no way I was going to make it so they put me in an ambulance and you know God had a different plan for me because I was able to make it to the hospital and real blessed the neurosurgeon actually had heard of me as a wrestler and he tried some experimental surgery where he went in and and picked out the pieces of my skull. He said in the, in the medical report, it says it was like putting a jigsaw puzzle back together, trying to take all the skull out, wash it off. And then he glued it back on my head just in case I survived that, you know, I, I would have my skull there because as a kid, your skull's still growing. Couldn't get it all out. There's still little pieces in my brain, but got it out, glued it on. And I guess they got in a big fight in the, um, in the emergency room in the, in the, surgeon because there was no way I was going to live so there's no reason to do this but he he wanted to try it just in case I lived and thankfully you know he did that for me so um you know one of those that later on uh one doctor told my parents the longest he'd ever heard of anybody living from the types of brain traumas I had you know the the skull fracture um the 
parts of my skull and my brain, you know, all those things, all the problems going on. He said about 30 minutes would be the longest he'd ever heard of anybody living from that type of accident. So it was one of those you're not supposed to live from, but like I said, you know, God had a different plan and, and for whatever reason I, I did live. So it was a, a, a crazy, crazy experience. And I ended up having to go to spend a few months in the hospital. I was in a coma for a while, then, you know, started to wake up and, and, uh, it was real fortunate. The first thing my left side of my body was all paralyzed. So the first thing that came back were my fingers and that's a hard thing to come back, but trying to relearn everything, you know, learn how to use your hand or learn how to walk and all those things. I was in the hospital for a few months and then then I would spend nights at home and spend the days in the hospital. So they let me go home at night after a couple months. But pretty much a lot of that year was just a lot of therapy and recovery and trying to come back. So I tell everybody I redshirted my senior year of high school. <laughs> I had to go back for that fifth year of high school. I don't recommend it. It wasn't a lot of fun when everybody graduated and I had to go back and finish up high school. But uh, you know, I was able to do that. So it was uh definitely a blessing on that end, but lots of crazy stories, lots of trying to recover from the accident and trying to come back. And I never figured out how to use the lower part of my legs. So like my toes, I can move two of them down, but I can't really, you know, move my toes or my ankle doesn't really work. So that really caused a lot of problems with wrestling. But, uh, you know, that second year of high school, there was a crazy coach at Minnesota, Jay Robinson, who still believed in still recruited me and 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 wanted me to come wrestling he's like you know I don't know you know you yeah you're not where you should be but you know if God saved you from this what's the big deal with you winning a national title at Minnesota so I was like yeah that's where I need to go so I ended up going to Minnesota to wrestle because Jay took a took a chance on me and and was willing to to see if I could come all the way back and you know I never did but uh you know there's a lot of positives that came out of it as well so well, anyone who's watched the Worlds or the Olympics sees you in the corner and who well, it's obvious that you can you can walk and you know you're physically, you know, hundred basically hundred percent except for your leg. But to think that you wrestled so soon after the incident is something I just learned about this morning researching for this interview. So just to kind of backtrack, you you wake up from the from the coma, you get out, and the first thing you do is you go try and run a mile. And yeah. you what happened then? Yeah, no, it's uh I was a stubborn guy, you know, and I just, just always just had that dream of winning the Olympics. So they let me out of the hospital and I guess they had a big party planned for me when I got home. And and uh, so Dan was supposed to bring me home and they were going to surprise me at the party and I wouldn't let them take me home. I said, you know, we got to go to the track. I got to see how fast I can run a mile. And so we went over the track and, you know, I started running. It was pathetic. I mean, I would fall down and get up and it took me, you know, 20 some minutes and it was just the ugliest mile ever. And cut up and stuff like that. But then, then I knew what I could, you know, I knew, okay, I'll come back tomorrow and I'll see if I can run it faster. And I kind of had that going on. So I was really late for my party and <laughs> and a little bloody when I got there, cause I kept falling down, but, but Dan humored me and took me there. And so, yeah, I ended up, you know, leaving the hospital, they were going to send the wheelchair home with me because I was just learning how to walk and stuff. And I was like, you can send it in the car, but it's never getting out of my mom's trunk of her car. So I ended up leaving the hospital without the, without the wheelchair and, and just, stubborn and wrestler mentality and uh you know just a belief that well there's a reason why god you know why i survived this accident that doctors don't understand nobody understands but i know god's plan you know he wants me to wrestle in the olympics so i just was doing the work i needed to do to get there is what i thought at the time and and uh yeah so yeah i was pretty stubborn and like i said it took me a long time and it took me probably a year or so to even get cleared to wrestle because there was Doctors were like, no way you'll ever be able to wrestle again. But 
but that was my dream and my plan. And, and I did wrestle after my red shirt year in high school that next year, I did wrestle for my high school and I did terrible. I got beat up on and the guys that used to not practice, but no, I didn't make it to state. So I took fourth in my district. So I just missed the state tournament. We had to get top three back then, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was tough, but you know, I always, I don't know, every morning I wake up and I'd still be all messed up, but I think, well, maybe tomorrow I'll be better. You know, I always had that kind of mindset and kept working at it. Like, okay, maybe tomorrow's the day when my leg starts to work or when I figure this out or I get better at something else. So it was, uh, it kept me motivated and it kept me going through high school and then through college. Well, and it's also, you think about because you're wrestling guys, your redshirt years, you say, who you used to destroy now they're beating you. It probably gave you a lot of perspective on coaching guys at the room who are like second, third, third stringers. Yeah, no, for sure. I think for me, it helped me as a coach going through the accident. You know, I think I learned, learned empathy. I think it's a good thing that I learned from the, from the accident, you know, and, you know, I'd won age group world championships. So I kind of know what it was like to win a world championship, but then on the same end, I went from being, you know, the best guy on the team to in college we had 32 guys on the roster and for sure I was a 32nd guy, you know, I was the worst guy on the team. So I kind of, I think that's helped me as a coach just to have a little bit of perspective there and, and to be able to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. I try and practice that in my own life today. And as a coach, no doubt it helped me, you know, cause I can relate to the guys that are on, on the top of the heap and I can relate to the guys that are you know, at the bottom kind of scraping to get, get, get on the team. So definitely yeah. it's, it's helped me as a coach. So after this, you get to Minnesota. I mean, and Jay Robinson, you're talking about one of the most rigorous training programs you could go through, like just a tremendous amount of work. And who were the coaches when you were there with, with Jay? Yeah, it was pretty amazing. It was before they had the coaches limit. At, and so when Jay got to Minnesota, he tried to build things. Um, well, he did an unbelievable job. So I think we had a coach for every weight class when I first got there. So some amazing wrestlers that were some were still competing some guys were getting in the coaching career and he had everybody there until and stuff well, he limited it to the four coaches but we had a great staff um great team you know we had some good recruiting classes and really jay was really starting to build minnesota it took a while to get it up to the top but mm-hmm. he had a plan and, and was working hard at it and and that was a great time to be there to kind of watch the progress from going from a lower Big Ten school at the time, they're kind of struggling to being one of the best teams in the conference and then one of the best teams in the country. So it was a blast to be a part of. And when you look at what Jay did during that time and someone asks you, you know, hey, what, what do you think he did really well? I mean, how would you break that down in terms of what he did that was unique to him or what he did to build that program up? Yeah, I think he had the vision. He carried the vision and, and kind of got people to believe in where he was at. And I think the other thing he did great is he surrounded himself and the team with some great coaches, some great people, some great partners. You know, we had, before RTCs were going, we had an unbelievable club at Minnesota that, you know, especially on the Greco side that put uh, an alumni on every Olympic team from the seventies through, you know, the two thousands. So it was a wow. pretty amazing club in that end. And and Alan Rice was kind of the, the father of, of the club as well and you know jay uh using the club you getting the coaches in there getting the training partners in there getting the recruits in there just just built it over time and having that vision and, and carrying that belief that we could get it done at minnesota and then you know more and more people got on board whether it was you know even the the boosters or the fans or the 
you know, takedown club is what they call it for the booster club. It just kept growing and growing. And then people started to come to watch and, you know, the, the fan you know, people in the stands just grew from a few hundred people to thousands at every duel. So it was a, it was a blast. It was a, carried that belief and, and uh, it went a long ways and got the right people to be part of it and, and push it forward to, to get it done. And you guys have one of my favorite people on staff, Mark Schwab. I mean, yes. they had like just, just this team of coaches from kind of all over, right? They had you with the Greco and the, from Oregon. And then he got Mark Schwab, this high school legend who, you know, was kind of cut short in his career. And then who else was on staff? Was it coach Morgan? Yep. Yep. So when we won the, when we started winning national titles, it was um, Jay was the head coach. Marty was the head assistant. Uh, Mark Schwab was a coach and I was the volunteer assistant. So the four of us on staff and, I think with us, the four of us, it just it just worked very well as far as um, where one guy was strong, another guy was weak, so we could pick him up. And, you know, we kind of fed off of each other and just everybody knew their role and did a great job. And then, you know, guys that weren't officially coaches, there was a lot of people around training, the freestyle and the Greco that could, you know, help the guys on the team kind of see somebody in the room doing what they want to do down the road. And, and it gave them that vision and that purpose and, and they could see it. But staff-wise, you know, Mark Schwab and I were roommates a lot longer than two grown men should be roommates. So we lived together for a lot of years. Really? I didn't know that. Him. Yeah. I love him to death and, and, uh, and, uh, had a lot, have a ton of great memories and, and times we had shared over the years. And, uh, you know, Marty was a great, is a great coach and, you know, he's out of college coaching now and coaching youth, which I'm glad he's still involved, but he's one of the best coaches you could ever imagine to be around. And, and, you know, Jay was a leader of that. And when, when we start, our staff kind of came together. It was funny because I think Jay was kind of setting us up to fail. So we went and recruited the guys that, that Minnesota wasn't supposed to get, but we were too young and dumb to know any better. So we were chasing after the best guys in the country. Then started to happen. We started to get some of them. So once that ball started rolling, it was rolling real fast in the right direction. And, and uh, you know, Jay's leadership for sure and, and trusting us and, and uh, Marty, an unbelievable recruiter and, Mark Schwab, the way he thinks his mind, he's such a great motivator and uh, could really motivate the guys. And I was just happy to be with those guys having fun. So it was a blast. <laughs> and who, who is like one of the big dominoes to fall? Was it the Lawrence brothers? Like who was the first big one to get in? Yeah, th no, for sure. Those guys got the ball wrong. We had a class that was pretty amazing. Um, where, you know, kind of turned the program around, but, you know, going after number ones, I think, Marty getting, you know, Garrett Lonnie was the number one guy in the country. And then Damian Hahn was another guy who was number one in the country. And starting to land those kind of guys that were, you know, number one overall, that just changed things, you know, and uh, can you build classes around it? So, and, uh, you know, and, and Marty definitely has, uh, should take a lot of credit for, for getting those guys at Minnesota because, because he worked his butt off to get them. But yeah, Lawrence brothers, program changers for sure. You know, there was, so many good guys that came have come through the Minnesota program and and uh it's just a blast. You know, I got to see some of those guys this summer and it was just it's just so fun reliving the memories and and uh you know just it's crazy that it's been as long a time ago as it is because <laughs> I still think of them as college guys, you know, and now they're all in their forties and stuff. So it's kind of funny. But well, Pinnacle's doing so good. It's like, well, I mean, I know you're engaged with the cadet and juniors a lot, but I mean they're they're just dominant right now. Yeah, I know, you know. Jared, Brandon, uh, Mac Ryder, I think help us there as well. But, uh, you know, Brandon Paulson, when I first moved to Minnesota, he was in junior high and I got to start coaching him. And so 
a lot of fun coaching this club, coaches club team in the springtime. Uh, a lot of us Minnesota guys would coach at different kids clubs around town. So knowing him forever and Jared knew him as a kid because he used to come to Jay's camps and tough, tough as all get out. And we knew he'd be great as well. So those guys are doing great. And Matt Ryder could cradle anybody, anytime, anywhere. So he's teaching <laughs> the pinnacle guys that too as well. So uh, what those guys are doing there is, uh, you know, it's, it's so impressive. And there's other clubs around the country doing it as well. It's, it's, it makes my job very easy. You know, it's like, we get these kids now. It's like, you know, I was at the New York AC this weekend and we had a couple young guys do great there. And it's like, wow, you know, just the talent level is amazing. And I, I call it job security for me. So it's, it's a good thing what these guys are doing in the yeah. grassroots and developing kids and, and uh, our college program, same thing, just putting together unbelievable wrestlers right now. And, and, you know, it's been a blast. Yeah, no, I mean, the Minnesota storm that you were involved with, I, I looked in 04, it looks like you guys won Fila juniors. And I looked at some of the guys on that team. It's like Slater brothers, Roger Kish, um, Mac Ryder was on there. It's like, that. that's like a, that's the second generation. That's how, you know, a team's a dynasty when they have multiple waves. Cause you had 99 through like Oh two. And then you had Oh seven. And that was a kind of a separate title, but I love the documentary flow did on Minnesota winning in Oh one. And especially the, the heartbreak that happened in 99. I mean, do you remember that? Obviously you do, but like what, what memories do you have of that's a better question. Yeah, no, it was just a real, painful I guess for us to come that close and you know 99 we'd won the big tens and I think I had won 25 years in a row and we won the big 10 championships that year and really poised to win it and you know just one of those things a lot of woulda coulda shouldas and one match here for us or one match loss for them uh even went back we, we go all the way back to the to the uh wild card so back then the coaches would vote and their conference would vote who the wild cards were for the national tournament and and uh, Iowa got a wild card in where we didn't get in. And that guy scored, an, I think he scored two and a half points and we lost by two. So if our guy had got in or that guy hadn't gotten in, you know, we win those kind of things. So it was a crazy, crazy painful thing. And tournament gets over, um, awards are done. And, you know, team goes back to hotel. I didn't go with the team. I walked back to the hotel because I, I needed some time. And then I need a little more time. So I didn't go back to Minnesota with the team. I just kind of traipsed around the east coast for a while there and just it was just a painful time like you know what do we got to do to win you know maybe we're not supposed to win and, and just a lot of what went wrong how do we change what what do we do different and I think you know uh, the good thing is the guys uh just believed and just even guys that graduated in 99 stuck around for a few more years because they knew we could get there and stuck around to make sure it helped the young guys grow and even though they were graduated they took different roles in the program and, and uh, helped, you know, get the 2001, 2002. And, you know, 2001 was magical the way the guys won, you know, no finalists, no champs, very disappointing, but all 10 guys became all Americans and it's never happened before. Have haven't, haven't, it hasn't happened since then that 10 guys from one team were all Americans and, and those guys, none of them were national champs. So they all could have, you know, cried and went home, but all of them fought for each other and, you could really see the team camaraderie there and they just fought super hard and came back and everybody ended up placing and, and we won it as a team without any finalists, which is crazy. But, uh, Oh, by the way, at Carver, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That that made it even more fun. So that made they it a lot of fun. Oh, I can only imagine like Carver must have been giving it to you guys in the quarters and semis. Like it must have just been chaos in there. Yep. So it was it was crazy. There was it was funny because going out with Jay, you know, Jay had coached there for a long time and so he knew a lot of people, but he got heckled really hard every time we walked to the corner. And there was a, this one guy in particular that was saying bad stuff to Jay over and over and and, uh, you know, when we went in the semifinals, we got six guys in the semifinals and are, are just rolling, doing great. And we went 0-1-6 in the semifinals. And the crowd started chanting 0-1-6, 0-1-6, because we had a terrible round. You know, everything could go wrong, went wrong. And uh, then when we came back and the guys just got on a roll and got the 10 All-Americans, our fans started chanting 10, 10, 10, kind of getting back at Iowa. And I remember was when we clinched it so – we had uh, uh, Owen Elson was losing, losing, then he pinned his guy to get third, and then Garrett Lowney threw his guy and pinned his guy and got third. So we added up the bonus points. We're sitting in the corner, Damian Hans wrestling for fifth, and Jay and I are doing the points. And at that point, we knew there's no way we we just clinched it. There's no way Iowa could beat us in the finals. And then Damian wins, and you know I'm saying, Damian, we won, we won. And he bends down and acts like he's putting a nail on the coffin, which was normally as a coach, you don't like a guy to do him, but I was going crazy and excited. <laughs> and then as we were leaving the arena that time, uh, the guy had been heckling Jay the whole time. Jay just taps him on the foot, reaches up, taps the guy's foot because he's that close to there and just keeps walking. The guy just starts shaking his head like this. So it was, Jay got the last laugh on that one. So I was happy for Jay. And and uh, yeah, such a, I mean, Carver Hawkeye is the, oh, it's just a blast to wrestle in there, whether you're, I guess it, I've never been a home guy there, but if you're, you know, on the home, I guess we're World Cup, we were there for the World Cup and they were cheering for us, but uh, such a great arena for wrestling. You know, it's so, so much fun. The fans love it and they're, they're wild and loud and a lot of fun. So to win it in Carver was very special, especially for Jay as a guy who'd come from there. Yeah, like it just there's so much going back. Like the reason he left there because of the camps and, uh, you know, came so close to 99 and then he finally gets it done. It's like just... I know Flo's already done it. I wish I want to do a story on that just because I love that three-year period so much. And then um, 07, what's the story with those guys? Yeah, just a just a great team. Again, you know, it was uh, uh, that those guys had come in after the 01, 02 teams won. Those guys were incoming recruits and stuff, and they believed in it. And, and uh, same thing, just a, a great crew. And, uh, you know, it was interesting. In 07, we didn't have the greatest tournament and uh, I remember going to the party afterwards with our booster club and people weren't really happy, you know, cause it was like, uh, you know, Dustin had lost and that was a big surprise and didn't expect that. And, you know, uh, Kish had lost in the finals and, you know, we had other guys step up CP becoming all American. Um, you know, Mac was hurt and, and, you know, it's just you know, those tournaments, you know, it's always, it's always hard and there's a lot of um, excitement and sadness at the same time, but, uh get to the party and people are not super excited and i was like you know you guys don't understand how hard it is to win a national title you know be be happy this team came through and got it done and and uh it was crazy you know it almost came down to cole at heavyweight but fortunately uh uh there was at iowa state um you know they had a guy at 97 kilos in the front 197 pounds who lost so that that minute was over at that point but it almost came down to cole so when he got out there, he just had to wrestle for himself, which made it easier, and he got a pin in the finals. But could have came down to him, which would have been really fun to have that last yeah. match matter that most. But 
the guys ended up winning it and winning it for Minnesota. And and I think people understand now how, how hard it is to win. So when something like that happens, you just got to be thankful and, and be appreciative and, and uh, that, that, it, that it came through, even though it didn't, didn't come quite the way we expected it to come through, but uh, guys got it done and, and won it for the team. So very special. I actually have a, in my room, uh, in my office here, I can't see it, it's on this wall over here, but I have a picture of the three national championship teams of Minnesota, uh, those guys. And uh, when I left Minnesota, they gave me that as a gift and it's it's up on my wall here. And I look at it all the time and just smile at that group of guys and, and what they were able to accomplish in 01, 02, and 07. Well, it's amazing that the coaching staff stuck together for so long. And then also, you know, like you said, being an NCAA Division One team champ is like one of the rarest things. There's only been so many of them, you know, and to break through is almost impossible. Like we've only seen it with Minnesota, Ohio State, Penn State. Um, Okie State had been around and they had a great run, of course, and, and Iowa. Um, but yeah, I mean, what a what an awesome story in wrestling and just all the rivalries and everything that went into it. I mean, the fact that the Slater brothers, that must have been two of the biggest signees ever in Minnesota history. <laughs> I mean, that was for massive. sure. There was a lot of excitement when those guys uh, decided to come there. So it was, uh, we were real blessed. That's a great family. And, you know, Dustin stuck around and coached for a lot of years and, and it impacted a lot of kids there and CP still in the community and doing great things. And, and, uh, yeah, what a great family. So definitely, definitely they're, they're program changers in a positive way. And Mac Ryder, wasn't he like an like a four-time Iowa champ as well? Yeah, that was a crazy one to get him out of Iowa, you know, to get him to Minnesota. So uh, you know, and and another another thing, you know, just an unbelievable family, the Ryder family. And and uh, you get the, you know, you don't you get the wrestler, but you also get their families as well. And and the Riders and the Schlaters definitely uh uh program changers and, and people you want around your program, their kids and their parents and their extended families for sure. Well, I'm sure you've seen it, but ESPN did. Maybe you haven't seen it, but the season on Iowa. Remember when ESPN did that? And that year they followed Iowa and Eustace wrestled Leroy Vega at the Target Center. And Eustace was a big Minnesota guy, right? In yeah, high school. Yeah, yeah. And then he gets beat by Leroy Vega at the Target Center. And it was like, that must have been the most maybe ever in Minnesota history for a duel. Yeah, it was crazy. There's a few years our duels with Iowa just it was the the big event in Minnesota, even though, you know, we have all the professional teams there and stuff for, for that week, uh, you know, at the target center, that event, we also had Excel center where the hockey team plays in St. Paul, just unbelievable duels that the media got behind. And, and uh, it was so much fun, you know, so much fun for those guys and Man. a lot of pressure, but uh, yeah, it was uh, amazing to be a part of amazing to be a part of just how things just grew and changed. And you get 15,000 people at a dual meet and, Thank God, you know, it's just another duel me. It's no big deal, but it is a huge deal. It's a huge turnaround from where it was 10 years before then. Yeah, absolutely. And then you go to George Mason and you really turned around a program that hadn't won duels in a while. And you won, you know, 40 some duels, put some guys on the junior world team. And even though it was a, it was a smaller school, you really built up a little bit of like, kind of like a Greco RTC there. Yeah, and no, it was great to be a part of them, to be a head coach. It's different being a head coach. I learned that, you know, it's kind of kind of a little bit different. But, uh, you know, going to George Mason had a great experience, learned a ton. And it's a, a pretty cool how fast, you know, you get there and the guys, you know, they become your guys and your team. And, and it just 
I don't know. It was it was a lot of fun and a lot. It was a lot of hard work because it's different, you know, going from the haves to the have-nots and one of the you know program that needed a lot of work to build up. And you know, I, when you look back at it, I think of the progress we made and the things that that changed at George Mason. You, I feel really good about my time there as far as making the program stronger and and more viable and just a less at risk program. So I, you know, feel real good about that. And then seeing the guys, it was fun. We had a zoom call during COVID with a lot of guys I coached. A lot of guys got on it and I just can't believe some of the great things these guys are doing now in life. And it's like, wow, you know, it's like, we must've done something right, you know, cause these guys are being real successful in life and, you know, getting married, starting to have kids. And it's, it's a fun, fun thing to watch. And, I feel real blessed for that opportunity and, and no doubt it helped me grow a ton as a coach. And, and, uh, you know, we, we lost a lot of George Mason too, and it was hard and it was, uh, tough, but a great group of guys that, that I'm just, I value that time and, and that relationship with the people at George Mason, the wrestlers, the the fans, the alumni, uh, they got a lot of, a lot of positives going on there that I'm proud to have a small part of, of the George Mason wrestling history. And then how did you get the call to join Team USA at Colorado Springs? Yeah, it was kind of crazy because, you know, I wasn't looking for a job. I planned on, you know, George Mason just staying there forever. And and Bill Zadick called me and he was like, hey, you know what? What would it take to get you to come help me out here? I need you to come help me out, coach the national team. And it's pretty amazing. Like, you know, you think it's like a dream because it's one of those opportunities that's that you don't get. And, uh, you know, I didn't know why or I'm sure I wasn't his first choice. I'm sure I was way down, down the list, but, uh, the fact, you know, Bill asked me to come work with him and it was, uh, you know, you get to work with team USA and be part of what USA is doing internationally. It was like, yes, thank you. Thanks for this opportunity. And so how would you break down your role with team USA as it stands today? When I how it stands today is as a you know I just try and support Bill Zadick and his vision for the program and and the way we want the freestyle program going and you know I kind of do what Bill wants me to do or asks me to do and and James Green now our developmental coach when I first got here Kevin Jackson was a developmental coach and just trying to support those guys so you know what James needs from me try and help as best I can and and what Bill needs and kind of in a supportive role and they gave me a cool title. My title is manager of freestyle programs. Really, I'm just an assistant national team coach for the senior team and then uh, help out with the U23s as well. And so my role is to help push forward uh, the program, try and help the guys have the best experience they can have and and, uh, not just in wrestling, but in life and try and make things a little bit easier for Bill and James as they they lead their programs. And and, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a blast. <laughs> I pinch myself all the time. Like how do I get so lucky to work with this staff, with this group of athletes, you know, our, our senior team right now. And Bill says it all the time. And I steal it from him too, is that, you know, they're pretty good wrestlers, you know, they won the world championship this year, but they're even better people than they are wrestlers. And that's what makes it fun for me to just be around quality people that are, are doing great things in life. And, you know, when I was a college coach, you know, I was just hoping guys would go to class or that they'd come to practice and, now I got a group of guys that just want to be the best in the world. So it's, it's fun to work with basically professional athletes that are, are trying to be the best in the world and, and uh, to support them and help them, help them achieve their goals and dreams is, is what I, what I do and what I love to do. And uh, I just, I'm so blessed to be a part of it. There's no doubt about that. And you guys just got out of a training camp, right? 
Yep, yep. So we had our post-World Championships kind of evaluation. Here's what we saw at the World Championships, the good, the bad, the ugly. And we saw a lot of good, so that was, made it easier. And then kind of tuning it up, getting ready for a World Cup coming up at, soon and that we host in the United States. So it's kind of, uh, all right, 2022 was a blast. We had a lot of fun. Congratulations on winning the world team title. All right, we're moving on to 23 now. So, uh, and, you know, 23 is a super important year because that's, the year you qualify for the Olympics. So it's it's hard to qualify weight classes for the Olympics. There's only 16 wrestlers per weight class. It goes from 10 weights down to six. Only 16 per weight class qualify for the Olympics. So these qualifiers coming up in 23, super important. Uh, you know, try and get as many weights qualified as possible. Obviously, you want to get all six. Uh, we weren't successful in 20 getting six weights through. But, um, you know, it's 23 is an important year. So... Yeah, 22 was awesome. We won the world championships. I actually got the poster right behind me. I staged it perfectly for here. Looks with great. Looks all great. Sig signatures on it. And uh, but yeah, now we're moving on to 23, getting ready for uh, the Paris Olympics in 24. So, God, yeah, what a, exciting times. Man, you said it. The year before the Olympics is the best year for international wrestling, besides the Olympics. But I would say it's still maybe even better because the worlds are so deep. And as you said, the Olympics are only 16 which is, I don't know how I feel about the 16 guys only, but the world's in the pre-Olympic year might be 30, 40 deep, you know? Yeah, no, it's it's changed a lot with this qualifying now for the Olympics and eliminating athletes. It uh, makes it a lot harder. In the old days, you know, it used to be everybody could go to the Olympics. So the Olympics, some of the brackets were easier because you'd have a bigger bracket. So maybe you get a good draw and you can get through further before you got somebody good. Now these 16 guys had to qualify. So, you know, they're, the best of the best and and so every round a little crazy at the olympics but yeah yeah just i, I like the system as long as we get six guys through if we don't get six guys through i don't like the system so. <laughs> <laughs> no, i i do i do wish more people had the opportunity to compete in the olympics because it is such a, a special thing for people to be part of and it's you know goes back to ancient times and and uh to limit it to just, just 16 is I don't know. I, uh, terrible, I think, actually, to be honest with you. I wish, you know, every country could have somebody in the Olympics and could represent their country and have that experience. And, you know, like it's tough for our guys in the 2020 Olympics because, you know, the COVID stuff, our guys didn't get to go to the opening ceremonies. They didn't go to closing ceremonies. We never went to the Olympic Village. We were totally separate. We kept our guys. We were up in the mountains for a few weeks before the event. And then we went down to Tokyo. We were in a hotel by ourselves and kept everybody isolated. It worked out great because, you know, we, we got through it and the guys did well. But down the road, I hope, you know, get back to normal Olympics where people can experience uh, walking into the opening ceremonies. I hear it's pretty amazing for the athletes and yeah, and, uh, to have more fans in the stands. So hopefully it gets back in 28 when we host in L.A. I think they're going to do a great job. And yes. yes oh, man. The, so there's a couple of things I want to ask you as we wind down. One. Just a, another congratulations to the 2020 Olympics. I mean, that was one of the most amazing things to watch. Like Gable at home, it was like yeah. four in the morning. I'm screaming. My wife comes in. <laughs> I'm in trouble. It's like, man, it was it was just one of the craziest. And then Yazdani and Taylor. I mean, good lord, and just everyone. I mean, Gilman. You know, everyone was so fun to watch, and it was amazing. And this year at the Worlds was electrifying, and it almost felt like there was a little bit of like, is anyone gonna challenge us this year like it was weird to go into a worlds and feel that you know so i'm really really excited to see what happens in 23 um so going into 23 
the only way to qualify in 23 is to place top five at the Worlds, and then all the rest of the qualifiers are in 2024 for the Olympics? Yeah, so you can qualify um, at the World Championships, and then you've got your Continentals in 24 count, and then you have your um, World Qualifier for the last couple spots later on. So I think they're doing a little bit different this year. I have to look it up to make sure, but I, I think there's less now from the World Championships where I don't think it's top five. I think I have to look it up, but yeah, that's a little bit trickier, and I think they, they put a little more weight, so that last world Olympic qualifier, I think you can get another person out of that one as if I remember right. But anyways, it's not, it's not easy to do and it's, it's going to be fun watching the guys chase after it. And what's the first ranking series event, do you know, in 23? Yep. The first uh, ranking event in February, the first week of February, there's a ranking event on the calendar. It doesn't say where it's going to be yet. So we're kind of waiting. There's two in February that'll happen. And, uh, We'll, we'll probably send a team to uh, at least one of those. Um, but yeah, the calendar hasn't been updated yet with where it is. So it says it's the first week of February, but once they find a site, I don't know, they could change the date. So we haven't confirmed dates or anything with the guys on the team. But we'll have a World Cup in December. We'll have another camp in January, get the guys together, and then and then hopefully send a bunch of guys over to the ranking events in February. So that's kind of our Love it. upcoming plan and schedule. I love it. Well, my last ask is what can we do to get a world's back in the U S that would be absolutely amazing with all the hype around these teams now. So uh, just so you know, a lot of people working on getting stuff back at the U S so we actually put it in for this year. We didn't get it, but uh, we'll keep trying, especially that, you know, 27, I think we had a real shot of getting it in 27 the year before the Olympics, since the Olympics will be in LA Hopefully they can use it as a test event. And that's kind of how we're selling it to wow. UWW that, you know, get teams here. They can check out the city, get used to it, make sure the facility is a good fit for wrestling and work out all the kinks in 27. And hopefully they buy that so we can, we can get the tournament here in a, in a year before the Olympics in 27, just like we had it in 15 in Vegas. You know, those are important years to get the world championships in your country the year before the olympics so 95 was electric like uh yeah. man big worlds in 95 well it's been just an honor to talk to you coach russell and before we go last question is you know the podcast is how did wrestling change your life so question to you sir is like what's been the biggest impact that the great sport of wrestling's had on your life now now you ask the question it's gonna take me like an hour to answer because uh <laughs> changed my life in so many ways. You know, I've been able to make a career out of wrestling, which is crazy that I still get to be around it every day and coach and have a blast. But I think as a kid, you know, my dad got my brother and I into wrestling. I actually started competing when I was four years old, but I think a lot of the biblical lessons from the Bible you learn, I think you learn through wrestling. And I think you use wrestling as a way to teach us great life lessons that help us grow as people. And, and, and it worked because a lot of the things he wanted us to learn out of the Bible, we kind of learned through the toughness of a wrestling mat and through the adversity of wrestling and stuff like that. And it served me well, you know, it helped me in life, you know, with getting through the accident helped me a ton. Uh, coaching, it helps me a ton as a wrestler. Um, things I've learned is just has changed my life, no doubt. And now I'm in my fifties and I'm coaching and I get to go watch these guys at the Olympics and be in their corner and cheer for them as Gable wins the Olympics. It's kind of a, a aside. I maybe shouldn't say it, but kind of an embarrassing moment, but, so Gable wins the Olympics and it comes down to the end. And I had the one big, well, I had to, you know, give him some water and towel him off during the break. But the other big job I had is I had the flag. I had it in the bit hidden at the bottom of my bag. So I didn't jinx him. And when he won, there's a, as he's doing the celebration, the flipping all that, if you look 
back at the old video, you'll see a bald guy bend over, digging through his bag, trying to find the flag. So I, I was struggling, like, oh, oh, I got the flag. Where's the flag here? So I was able to get the flag up to him in time. But uh, wow, yeah, I, I almost blew that. So I had one little job to do, and I was like, oh, but he, but he, in all fairness, he waited till the last. 0.2 seconds on the clock to score the winning takedown. So that's why I was a little weight digging for the flag. Man, I mean that that match is just so insane. And because it's it kind of reminded me of when Cubs won the World Series. The game was going so good. We thought it was going to be an easy win. Next thing you know, their Cubs are down. It goes to OT. If I remember correctly, like he was kind of he was handling the first you know for early part of the match right uh, he, he dominated the match and then got gutted a few times in the That's second right. period and got in a jam and so it's kind of craziness i don't know i guess behind the scenes thing that kind of happens so in the back room of the olympics they have little cubby holes for each team to be in and kind of hide out in the back and there's a warm-up match and stuff like that and you know it's amazing like with uh david winning and gable winning the amount of excitement and cheering and you know just tears of joy going crazy but at the same time in those cubicles in the back i've never heard so much pain in my life listening to yazdani the the pain and the wailing and the crying and the pain and and with uh you know the georgian at heavyweight those guys in the back room just i don't know you always hear the agony of defeat and the thrill of victory the agony of defeat the old saying there and you know it's it's amazing but you heard it with yazdani he took it that hard the amount of screaming and pain and just I've never heard that kind of grief before from somebody just, you know, those two in the back room, just wailing. I mean, just, just painful. And, and uh, so it's, it's interesting, you know, how life is and the life of a coach and a wrestler, there's, there's some joy in wrestling, but there's so much pain as well that you got to deal with and work through. And, and, you know, hearing those guys, it kind of breaks your heart in the back, but at the same time you're jumping up and down for your guy and, and know what they've gone through to get there. But, yeah. Uh, we all understand it, but you know, to be that close to it in the back room was it was a kind of a surreal thing for me as a person to experience. And I guess that's why I brought up that story. But <laughs> well, it, it gives you like chills to even think about that because that's like yeah. how much it means to those guys. Yeah, no, it was uh I don't know, it was uh one of those things Crazy. I'll never forget and just the the pain they were feeling and, and the joy our guys were feeling and, and vice versa, you know, guys didn't get what they wanted. It's very painful when you put your life into it, but uh, we can learn a lot of great, great things from wrestling through victory or defeat. So yeah, wrestling has changed my life for sure. I love it. Joe Russell. Thanks for coming on. It's been a great pleasure and a lot of fun. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Thanks for listening to wrestling Change my life presented by Spartan combat. This episode was sponsored by quant wrestling Q U A N T. Please download the quant wrestling app through the Apple or Google play stores. This episode was also presented by Beat the Street Chicago. Go to btschicago.org slash donate. All donations made between now and next Tuesday will be matched at 100% by Beat the Street Chicago. For all past episodes, go to wrestlingchangemylife.com. And that's it, folks. We'll see you later this week with a new episode of Wrestling Change My Life.